we can't do this without volunteers and not just for the benefit of the child but just like our tagline says save a child save a family save a city we've got to have an educated workforce and that has to begin while children are in elementary school if we don't get them reading by the end of fourth grade two out of three children are likely to end up on welfare or incarcerated. So the first hurdle really is we've got to get them reading on grade level by third grade so that they can get to that high school graduation point. Then they have choice. If you can't read, you don't have choice. It's that simple. Save a child, save a family, save a city. That's the motto of Arise to Read. Hi and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Karen Vogelsang is the executive director, and she's no stranger to Mid-South Viewpoint. Karen, it is always good to see you, and I guess it's about this time we're starting to have a regular date on the calendar, right? No, it's great. Thank you so much for having me back, Byron. You are a former fourth grade teacher at Memphis Shelby County Schools. Do you miss those lesson plans, grading papers, and those parent conferences? I miss all of it. Do you really? I do. I miss it desperately. I didn't realize that you felt that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm a teacher at heart. And so I miss the classroom a great deal in working with children and helping children fall in love with learning. Which is kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, and just in a different way. Yeah, in a very much needed way. Something I don't know if we've ever talked about, that you are originally from London, Ontario. Yes. I just kind of picked that up today when I was doing some research, and I don't know why we've never discussed that. So tell me about life in Canada. Well, I can't tell you a whole lot about life in Canada. (laughs) I can tell you how I got there. Okay. My parents um, are from England, and at the age of 21, they got married and hopped on a converted World War II ship and came through New York, and uh, they spent two weeks on the Atlantic. Ocean, and the one piece of luggage that they had was lost. And they met an older couple on a train leaving New York, going to Canada. And that couple put them up for the night. And the next day, they found an efficiency apartment for half of the money that they had in their pocket at the time, which is about $25 for the efficiency apartment with $50 in their pocket. My mother found a job at the University of Ontario in the cafeteria. And it took my dad three weeks to find a job at a car dealership waxing cars. And when my dad retired many, many years ago, he was part owner of Bluff City Jaguar. So we got to Memphis. I got to Memphis because of the car business. The British car business is what my dad was in all these years. And so what age were you at that time when you came? Uh, uh, Well, I was born in Canada, left Canada when I was five, and went from Canada to New Jersey, New Jersey to upstate New York, New York to New Orleans. (laughs) The culture shock was New Orleans to Jackson, Mississippi. That was Uh, the culture shock. That was the culture shock. Yeah, New Orleans is very much a transplanted northern city, so that wasn't the shock. The shock was Jackson, Mississippi. And then... um, My dad had an opportunity to open a car dealership here in Memphis, and so we moved to Memphis. I've been here ever since. So your dad was actually at a car dealership in New Orleans? My dad actually managed the port facility in New Orleans where all the British cars came in from Ah. England. And so he managed that port facility there where all the cars came in, and then he shipped them off to different dealers across the country. And then he finally had an opportunity to have a car dealership in Jackson and then opened one here in Memphis, Tennessee, many, many years ago. So you do remember the delicious beignets at the oh, French market. Oh, yes. How yeah. can you forget a beignet in the French market? We used to, some some days we would, uh, on the weekends, we'd get on the ferry and go across the river and just spend some time walking around the French Quarter. So Project Zero is something else you... <gasps> oh, yes. Tell me about it. Oh, my goodness. Um, that was a fellowship through the Martin Institute, which was part of Presbyterian Day School, Jeff Martin. I applied for that fellowship thinking, okay, this 
little girl who's a first-generation college student in her family is never going to have an opportunity to go to Harvard and learn anything about yeah. education and Project Zero. And I received one of the fellowships, and so I had an opportunity wow. to spend a week at Harvard. Project Zero is all about teaching children critical thinking skills and uh, making thinking visible. It's kind of one of the books by Dr. Ron Richard, yeah. and it absolutely transformed my teaching. So incredible experience. And then I was invited back a couple years later to be a project study leader. So just an absolutely transforming experience. So teaching is really in your DNA. Oh, yes. Can you think back some of your earliest memories of education for you in the classroom? What was it like? What were some of the teachers that you had that inspired you in those early years? I was not a good student. By the time I got to middle school, I was beyond my parents' uh, English education. And I was a very, very shy little girl. I was the one that sat in the back of the classroom and didn't raise her hand and didn't talk out or answer questions or anything like that. I wouldn't say that I really had any teachers during my middle school or high school years that really transformed me. I really didn't think I would be able to pass uh, the the graduate test to get into graduate school to become a teacher because I was a banker for 14 years before the Lord called me to the classroom. And I had an amazing teacher, and I hope she's listening right now. Dr. Cheryl Maxwell was my math methods professor. And I was not a good math student when I was in my first round of college when I got a bachelor's in business, uh, nor when I was in uh, elementary, middle, or high school. This incredible professor taught me how math should be taught and it just transformed my excitement and so when i got into the classroom dr maxwell was always in the back of my mind about how to make learning fun and engaging because if we don't do that for students when they're young if school is boring for them they're not going to want to continue you want learning to be fun for children you don't want it to be boring and monotonous scott vogel saying when did you first meet him um, I first met him when we were both managers. I was a bank manager for First Tennessee Bank, and they had all those in-store branches inside the Cecil's grocery stores. Oh, yeah. And he was an assistant manager at the grocery store, and that's how we met. So you met in the produce aisle. No, <laughs> <laughs> no he would kind of walk in front of the bank every now and then. He'd sort of turn his head, he'd look at me, and he'd give me this little shy smile. And uh, I would hear his name pronounced, but I never saw it spelled out. And so I used to just say, good morning, Mr. V, not knowing that one day I would become Mrs. V, because wow. that's what everybody called me in school. I love that. It's hard to believe that this is the ninth season for Arise to Read. Yeah, it's incredible. So kind of go back just a little bit here before we continue in the conversation. And your relationship with Donna Gaines and how you first got introduced to Arise to Read and when you met Donna and this whole that yeah. whole relationship. Yeah. Well, my husband, he just felt called to start looking and going to other churches. It was January of 2017. And I said, well, where, where do you want to go visit? And he said, well, I want to go to Bellevue. My eyes kind of popped out of my head. And neither one of us were brought up in Christian homes. Our salvation story really begins as young adults. And so I was really kind of surprised that he wanted to go to Bellevue, not having any knowledge about uh, Baptist beliefs or anything like that. But I said, sure. So I always describe Scott when he first listened to Pastor Gaines. It was like he was this empty vase. I could just see him being filled up as he listened to Steve preach. And so the next weekend I said, where where do you want to go? Where do you want to visit this time? And he said, I want to go back to Bellevue. And I was like, okay. 
So we go back and, you know, another great sermon second week. And before the service ends, he says, do you want to go meet the pastor and his wife? And I'm just thinking, this is so not typical of my husband. He's usually he's a chief executive officer for a a company here in Memphis. And he's he's very even keeled, very analytical. So I was kind of surprised. So the short version of the story is we go up to meet Steve and Donna. We're talking to Steve and Donna. Steve gets pulled away, and as Donna were sitting here, what she'd tell you is I kind of got left with Scott and Karen. (laughs) And so Karen and I started talking, and what she found out is I was an educator at Windridge Elementary at the time, teaching third grade. A Rise to Read was there. I knew nothing about it because second grade was on the other end of the building. And next thing you know, we're all you know, cut off into a corner right there at Guest Central and spent 30 minutes, which is not normally what Steve and Donna do with guests when they come up to talk, talking all things education. And what I learned later was that Arise to Read was at the point where they were ready to hire an executive director, but they were not advertising for an executive director. They were praying for an executive director. And Donna felt at that meeting that I was the answer to that prayer. I personally, when I found out later, I thought she was crazy because I was like, no, God uh, gifted me to be in the classroom, not to be an executive director. Karen, what a story of God working. I I did not realize that's how it came together. It did, but Karen got in the way for 10 months because I just felt like this was not where I was supposed to be going because I was called to the classroom, and why would the Lord call me out of the classroom? I love the point that you made that we weren't advertising for an executive director. We were praying for one because the foundation for Rice to Read is a biblical mandate. Yes. With the gospel of Jesus yes, Christ. That's absolutely. important. Yeah. You're a nonprofit, but foundationally, you have some very strong beliefs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, ARISE literally is an acronym for a renewal in student education and evangelism. Those are our two E's. That's why there's the two in there. You take an active role in development of children in the public schools through the presence of the volunteers that you have that are all focused on literacy. They tutor students one hour a week utilizing the simple sight word approach. You also provide books for the students to enhance literacy. So this has been a nine-year project and growing. Yes. And we also want our friends to know, yes, they still need volunteers. Absolutely. And there's a special event coming up, and that's why one of the reasons that we got together, Karen, is to talk about the annual kickoff right. for Rise to Read August 31st. Yeah. We're going to have our annual kickoff on August the 31st. It will be at Bellevue Baptist Church, and we'll have the doors opening at 9 a.m., and we'll get started at 9.30. It's an opportunity if somebody in our audience wants to learn about A Rise to Read, we welcome them to come. We obviously want our returning volunteers to come back and uh, just learn about the results that we had this past year, which were incredible because of our amazing volunteers that were willing to serve in this very challenging uh, past academic year. But it's an opportunity to learn about Arise to Read, learn about the schools that we have that are in need of our support. This past year, we were working with 26 partner schools. I believe our number right now is at 36. Um, so it's there's just an incredible need for our children to learn how to become strong readers, and this is where you can learn more about it. A recent local news report on television stated in a story that they did on Arise to Read said that you said that 4,000 volunteers could truly help Memphis Shelby County schools meet grade-level reading requirements and provide one-on-one intervention. How in the world can you find 4,000 volunteers? (laughs) (laughs) Only God. Only God. That's my best answer to that. And how did you come up with that number? Well, here's where that number came from. The number came from working with two national researchers in early 
early childhood literacy last year, one at the University of Michigan and one at uh, Virginia Tech. And as we were talking about um, the need to help children become strong readers here in Shelby County, one of the researchers talked specifically about the data from Shelby County schools at that time. They were referred to as Shelby County schools. They estimated that just in second grade alone in the Memphis Shelby County School District that there would be 4,000 children that could benefit from the kind of support that we provide at Arise to Read. We would love to have 4,000 volunteers because we know that there are plenty of children and that need the kind of support that our volunteers provide. And we know we've seen year after year after year, even during the pandemic, we've seen the impact that our volunteers make. We're actually praying for 1,600 volunteers. If God wants 4,000, there will be 4,000. But our prayer, based on the number of schools that we have right now, if we had 1,600 volunteers, we would we would be just absolutely enthralled wow. to have 1,600 volunteers work with this, the same number right. of students because it's a one-to-one ratio. A 2016 Teachers College Press study analyzed data from more than half a million second-grade elementary to ninth-grade high school students, and one of the most significant findings was that over the summer, students lost an average of 25 to 30 percent of their school year learning. How does that type data impact what you do at Arise to Read? Is it like starting over again every semester? Well, you know, we're, we're working with a brand new set of students each year, but I'm not surprised by that data at all because I can tell you that there have been three times in the 15 years where I was a teacher where I looped with my children. So I followed my students from one grade to the next, and I did that from first to second, second to third, and third to fourth. And what I can tell you is, is that summer learning loss is very real. And one of the reasons that we provide books for all of the second grade students in our partner schools, regardless of whether those students are on our tutoring roster or not, is because we know that the research shares that if children have access to books over the summer and they spend time reading five or six of those books, they can maintain their reading gains because they're having an opportunity to work on skills that they've learned over the course of that academic year. So it's just critically important for children to have access to text. And unfortunately, we know 61% of low-income families have zero books in the home. So that's one of the reasons why at Arise to Read, we provide anywhere from 10 to 14 brand new books for all of our second grade students that we work with at our partner schools. This is your own project in-house. Right. And I think one of the benefits, I mean, obviously we're not impacting as many children as the Dolly Parton Foundation and Porter Leith are doing here in Shelby County, but we're putting the books directly into the hands of the children. And unfortunately, because Memphis, um, especially for those low-income families, We have a very transient population, and children move from schools to school, or they're moving from home to home, or something happens, unfortunately, and they have to move in with grandma or auntie or something like that. And so those books through the foundation, a lot of them end up trying to get forwarded, or there's not a forwarding order, and they get returned. So one of the benefits of the Arise to Read program in terms of our book effort is that we're putting these books directly into the hands of the children. We spend time reading the books to them. We talk about, like at Thanksgiving, we're giving them a Thanksgiving book. At Christmas, we're providing a book that's related to the winter holidays. We want to be culturally sensitive. In February, we're providing books that are related to Black History Month and Valentine's Day. And then our big 
push is in May. We're giving them a summer reading pack that's got about six or seven brand new books in there. It's got some little reading treats in there for the kiddos, like bookmarks and bracelets. And it's got a parent resource guide so that we're helping parents understand what they can do to help their children over the summer. And, and, And talking about parents, do you see parents engaging along with the tutoring in this whole process. I mean, that obviously helps make what you do a whole lot easier when the parents get involved. Yeah, because Arise to Read is so unique, we are serving children during the school day. That's one of the things that makes Arise to Read so unique in the nonprofit literacy community here in Memphis. We do send a letter home either from me or from the principal to the children that are going to be tutored in the Arise to Read program, but we really don't have interaction with the parents specifically. So we try to provide them with resources. We're always available to help. We've certainly received phone calls from parents just or, you know, from moms saying, my child's having trouble reading. Can you help? And of course, as an educator, my heart just goes out and Mm. I spend time, you know, talking to those parents and finding out what kind of challenges their children are having Mm -hmm. and then giving them some resources and ideas of what they can do. And outside of that, the only other thing that we're doing to engage parents is that when the schools have parent meetings or things like that, then we're having that opportunity to engage with the parents. And then, of course, the other amazing thing that happens when we get volunteers in the school, they find out about other activities that are taking place, whether it's proctoring for the state test or whether it's back to school night or literacy night or science night, or they find out that children need school supplies or backpacks. Our volunteers end up serving that school in other ways. So ministry just spills over as a result. It is so beautiful, Karen. Again, volunteers are really what fuels Arise to Read. And one of your Arise to Read volunteers was asked, what is your favorite part? And they said, my favorite part of coaching is watching children learn to read words, compose sentences with those words, and then read stories containing some of those words. And then they were asked, why do you volunteer? It is so exciting to work one-on-one with two students and observe their enthusiasm as they progress, their self-confidence builds, and their little faces glow with excitement. Yeah. Doesn't that make you feel oh, yeah. <laughs> so good? Yeah. And it's not just the two children that that volunteer was serving. It's every single child. When those children walk into the coaching space that we have at a school and they see their volunteer, because that's the other part. The volunteers are working with the same two children week after week. So what's happening is they're building these relationships. So the children walk in, their faces light up. When they see their volunteers, they go running to their volunteers, and they, because of the way the program is structured, the children and the volunteers are seeing the growth that's taking place. Mm. So the kids get excited. I mean, so many of our children, you know, we'll ask them at the beginning of the program, do you like reading? No. Why not? I just don't like it. I'm not good at it. They'll tell us that. They're seven years old, and they already know that they're not. And so because these volunteers invest that hour week after week, typically from the middle of September to early April, these children just blossom and grow, and not only academically, but socially and emotionally. So they go back in the classroom. They're engaged in learning. They see themselves as smart and capable and motivated. They spend more time on task. That's what we hear back from administrators and teachers and things like that. So it's so impactful on so many ways. But to your point, we can't do this without volunteers. And this is not just for the benefit of the child, but just like our tagline says, save a child, save a family, save a city. We've got to have an educated workforce, and that has to begin while children are in elementary school. If we don't get them reading by the end of fourth grade, 
two out of three children are likely to end up on welfare or incarcerated. Or if they're not, I mean, that's, you know, just between then and high school. So the first hurdle really is we've got to get them reading on grade level by third grade so that they can get to that high school graduation point. Then they have choice. If you can't read, you don't have choice. Yeah. It's that simple. Wow, Karen. Okay, let's talk about the volunteer process. What is your ideal volunteer? What do they look like? (laughs) They can pass a background check and read. That's all. (laughs) And just have a willing heart. Our training is only an hour. Uh, That's that's it. And they are extremely well supported through the whole process. We have what's called a volunteer head coach at each of our schools. And so they are there to support the volunteers. And then the head coaches and the volunteers have a staff, what we call a development coordinator. So that's somebody who's on staff with the Rise to Read. And they are there to support that head coach and those volunteers. The protocol that they're delivering to the children is very simple, very structured. What we've heard from volunteers over the years is just that they know exactly what they're going to do when they walk in. They know the six-step protocol. That's it. It's as fun for the kids as it is for the volunteers. The volunteers see the growth of the students. We have a very high retention rate for until the pandemic came, but very high retention rate for volunteers coming back um, to serve the next year. So we're hoping all of those 1,265 volunteers we had in 2020, we're hoping even more of them will come back this fall. One hour a week. That's it. That's all you have to do. That's it. A lunch hour. So there's a designated place on the school campus where the tutor would go and meet their student? Yeah. So each of the principals and the, the school leadership team they absolutely have the wherewithal to set that schedule however they want. Their minimum requirement is two days a week and an hour on each day. Then volunteers can look at the schedules from those 36 schools. They can look at the location of those schools, and they can select the school that's going to work best in their schedule. That's it. You select that school. You commit to that time. The expectation is that you'll be there that time that you picked every hour that week we know life happens and we've got uh, substitutes to fill in when needed but it's just an amazing opportunity to not only benefit that child we've heard children talk about how they've gone back to their families i believe it was franny from treadwell elementary told us the story how she went back to her um, siblings and cousins as she said to teach them and it's it's also to save our city because we've got to have an educated workforce to be able to attract businesses here and if we have two-thirds of our fourth graders likely to be incarcerated that just has to stop so that we can reduce the amount of crime that we have in our city and we know that's a prevalent problem right now as i mentioned you're celebrating your ninth season with a rise to read here in memphis shelby county now students who originally started with a rise to read nine years ago were in second grade they should be i would assume juniors by now yes uh have you had any engagement with those students and seeing how they are today and where they are today the the students that we've had an opportunity to follow back up with are have usually been ones that have gotten to fifth grade so my favorite story is about keegan and you can see a video from keegan on our website when he was in second grade keegan was a student at north haven we didn't have an opportunity to get north haven started until december of that year because we had a hard time recruiting volunteers by February, his volunteer came to me and said, 
well, Keegan's already gotten to 1,000 words. And I was like, I don't think so. Something's not right about that. That's awfully quick progress. <laughs> and he started at a middle first grade level. So he was below grade level, not too far below. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, you know, this is just too fast. I said, do me a favor. Go back and review the words he missed. Make sure he's really got those. Because we want these words in their long-term memory so that when they see them again, yeah. they know them automatically. Yeah. And so what happened was the volunteer came back to me just before spring break and said, he's got him. I said, okay, well, let's go ahead and post test him. And we did. And he post tested at word 987. I mean, his gain was over 800 words. It was incredible. So she said, well, what do I do now? And I said, you spend time reading. So we had Keegan yeah. pick books that he was interested in, which children need so desperately, because yeah. that's what's going to get them excited about reading. You said that's really a key, because Absolutely. some students, if they don't have something before them they're interested in, they're not going to read. They're not going to read it. Yeah. yeah. So Keegan picked books, and they spent time reading. So when we filmed Keegan, this is basically what he said. He said, when my volunteers started to show me what was in books, I couldn't get enough. Well, this past May, I went to North Haven to deliver teacher appreciation lunches. And a good friend of mine is their assistant principal. And I asked Kamisha, I said, is Elizabeth here? And she said, no. And that was a little girl that I coached personally. I said, well, what about Keegan? And she said, yeah, he's still here. I said, can I see him? So they went and got Keegan. He walked in the door. He knew immediately who I was. I hadn't seen him in three years. It was a fifth grader. The second question I asked him was, do you still like reading? Oh, yes, ma'am. I love it. So when we had our, t- our teacher appreciation event in May, we had a panel discussion and we bought our community partners and principals and Keegan and a second grader from Fraser Corning Elementary. And we had them tell the volunteers what the impact was for them. I wish I could tell you that we have followed our children from middle to high school. We haven't done that. But just in talking to our fifth graders, and Keegan's not the only one, they seem to hang on to the love of reading. And if they've got that, they're going to make it to that graduation rate. That is beautiful, Karen. Well, again, August 31st is such an important date for our Bot Radio Network listeners to put on their calendars because we need volunteers yes. for Arise to Read. And it's a uh, it's really the kickoff for Arise to Read in this new school year. It's going to take place at Bellevue Baptist Church. Give mm-hmm. us more details. Just if you want to learn more, you can call 901-347-5545. You can go to arisetoread.org, which is A-R-I-S-E, the number two, read.org, and you can learn more there. The registration link is there. You can call me at 901-497-0618. We would be happy to talk to anybody about the opportunity to serve children in our city at our partner schools this fall. And we'll have a nice little sweet treat for you when you come to Bellevue on August the 31st. Sounds delicious, but even more so, friend, your investment in the lives of literacy of our children in Shelby County Schools. You can make a difference. We are trusting the Lord to provide those volunteers. You can make a difference, friend, by taking just one hour a week of your time, making a difference in the life of a child. Absolutely. Karen, this has been great as always. Thanks so much for the update. Thank you. For your faithfulness, for Arise to Read, and how it's impacting our community. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Byron. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.